A reading from the Song of Solomon. The voice of my beloved. Look, he comes, leaping upon the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing in at the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away, for now the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the letter of James. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not merely hearers, who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and, on going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Now, when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Jesus said to them, 
Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. The Gospel of the Lord. Our readings today at first glance seem to be completely unrelated. We open with love poetry, which tradition holds traces back to the court of Solomon almost 3,000 years ago. Love poetry, some of which we probably wouldn't want to hear on a Sunday morning. It is so racy, so vivid, so earthy. It is about the song of two young lovers, you might even say. And today is the image of the beloved astride the mountains with great strength, leaping, peeking through the latticework. Reminds me, actually, of a Japanese story, one of the most ancient Japanese stories called Tales of Genji. And in fact, in that story, Genji, who's a bit of a naughty fellow, keeps looking through the cracks to see the pretty women in the court, because that's the only way he can see them. The other story, of course, is Jesus in an argument with the religious authorities of his day. An argument which seems to us a little bit archaic and strange. It's an argument about food customs, and an argument that we might hear as a debate perhaps between early Christians and some of their Jewish brothers and sisters, or maybe there's something else going on that we're not quite in tune with. For the uninitiated, it's a bit of a confusing story, and unfortunately, the architects of the lectionary haven't helped us out very much because they've left out some verses which provide a little bit more context. But even with that context, it's still a strange set of teachings. How do we bridge the gap between these two seemingly incongruous, unrelated readings? Helping us out are actually some rabbinical scholars, and particularly one who lives here in the Bay Area and who has taught for many years over at UC Berkeley, Daniel Boyarin, who writes in one of his books where he is looking at the Christian Gospels through Jewish eyes, that we sometimes assume that Jesus was this radical liberal fellow. Well, of course, we live in the Bay Area. Who else would he be, right? 
But in fact, Boyarin points out that Jesus, who comes from Galilee in the north, was probably raised in an older tradition than the Pharisees and the scribes and those who were centered around the temple cult in Jerusalem. In the first century, they were the innovators of the day. They were the ones who were bringing in these new practices and teachings to the people on the ground in Israel. They were telling them, this is the practice that you need to take up in order to keep yourself distinct from the Gentiles. And they would fuss at the people when they didn't keep the practices, as you might imagine. Jesus, however, was likely steeped in an older tradition in the synagogue at Nazareth that was rooted firmly in the Torah, in that foundational set of texts of the tradition. And Jesus had already made up his mind in his upbringing and also as he was led by the Spirit to put a premium on the weightier matters of the law, as he called them, mercy, compassion, justice, things that he found absolutely essential to understand the most ancient teachings of the tradition. And so when he begins proclaiming this to a people who feel tangled up in a very complex set of traditions and customs that are being introduced by the elders and the Pharisees, and perhaps the scribes, he gets in trouble. But in fact, in this instance, Jesus is being conservative. He is pointing back to the earlier strands of the tradition. Helping, you might say, the people see the forest for the trees and inviting the authorities back to what is foundational before it gets lost. What is that foundation? Jay Johnson, whom many of you remember with fondness, he supplied here during one of Father Robert's sabbaticals a number of years ago, wrote just the other day on Facebook, what are you preaching about when we have Song of Solomon for one of the only times in the Sunday lectionary this Sunday? And he reflected that there's some contemporary theologians who are starting to look at the Song of Solomon not as an auxiliary or a, a sort of add-on to Scripture, but actually as a central way of reading the rest of the Bible. Now, Jay Johnson, as you know, has done a lot of writing on the physical body and its relationship to theology and human sexuality as well. He thinks, and other scholars tend to agree with him, that the reason the Song of Solomon was incorporated into Scripture, not only by early Christians, but by the later rabbinical tradition in Judaism, is because it gives us an insight 
into what is really foundational, at the heart of Torah, at the foundation of the traditions we have in common. And that is, the Song of Solomon is not just love poetry about young lovers. It is love poetry between God and the ancient Israelites. It is about the desire that God has for God's people and the love that is right there at the foundation. That God's desire for God's people is so deep and so profound that it is fundamental. Nothing can change it. This is something the early Christians understood too. Listen again to the opening of today's reading from the letter of James. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It sounds very sophisticated, but if you think about what that's saying for very long, you realize what James is talking about is love. And in fact, what James is saying is that every act of love, every desire perhaps that is loving, originates with God. That is fundamental. So one of the things going on in today's gospel reading is that the religious authorities are doing what all religious authorities have always done, myself included, if I'm not careful. And that is we try to change the tradition to make it transactional. If I follow this pattern, then I will be right with God. If I eat the right things, and wash my hands the right way, and clean the vessels the correct way, God will love me. Jesus' point is, uh-uh, you've got it backwards. God loves you, full stop. Full stop. Look at the deeper elements of the tradition again. All of that business in the garden, in the Torah, all of that business about the exodus, all of that business about founding a people and drawing them together from the four corners of the earth, all of that is about God's love, calling God's people, that divine desire for us. And the earliest strands of Judaism and the earliest strands of Christianity remind us that that love cannot go away. Oh, sure, we can mess it up. We can do our best to mess it up. But that love will always be there for us. And that means that the kingdom that Jesus brings isn't transactional at all. There's no way we can earn God's love when it is there for us already. And so the question for us, the question that comes up week after week, 
as we approach God's table with outstretched hands and open hearts is not how we can earn that love, but rather how do we respond to that? How do we share that love with others? Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.